0: This is the podcast of Christian Life Center on Assemblies of God Church in Springfield, Massachusetts. For more information, visit our website at clc413.com. Why don't we open in prayer? Father, thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for your presence here. Thank you for your promises to us, Lord. Thank you that you said you'd never leave us or forsake us. Father, I just pray that this word will go forth and touch my heart and touch the heart of the hearers, Father, and that we would turn to you and and love you more than we ever have before. Lord, your Holy Spirit is here. Touch people. Give them a word so that they can have something great in their heart that you've given them today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Isaac. Today I'm going to talk to you about what the Bible would call the normal Christian life. Another title for this message would be called Hungering to Know God Better. And I think there are quite a few people here that are hungering to know God better. I'm one of them. Many of you may remember that there was a book called The Normal Christian Life that came out in 1977 written by a Chinese man with the pen name of Watchman Nee. He spent the last 15 years of his life in prison in communist China because of his faith before dying in confinement in 1972. That book portrayed a life that is anything but ordinary. The normal Christian life goes far beyond what is ordinary. When you think of it, we live in an extraordinary life of Love, joy, peace, faith, hope, and resurrection. And these are all made possible by the living presence of the Holy Spirit in us. Today I am praying that God will give us a deeper insight into the normal Christian life that many in the church in the United States are missing today. If you have been sensing a hunger to know God better, to know better the living presence of the Holy Spirit in us. You are not alone. I also sense lately that many of us, me included, have been hungry for more of God beyond what we have been realizing. If that is you, I believe God has something good in store for you today. Last week, Pastor ended his sermon series called From Slavery to Freedom, and he asked me to pick up from that point onward. These sermons chronicle, there's over a several week period of time, and they're on the internet if you want to go back and and listen to them. They chronicle the deliverance of the nation of Israel out of slavery in Egypt. They were led into the promised land that was given to them by God. The land was inhabited by the Canaanites who did not worship the God of Israel. Their situation was a picture of the situation Christians find themselves in today. God delivers us from sin and gives us the promised land of heaven living with Jesus Christ. But like the Israelites, while we are here on this earth, we are surrounded by the enemy. Don't we all feel that way sometimes? Like the Israelites, we also have the power of God on our side. We have the power of God by our side. But for us, we also have the power of God living inside of us. At the end of the service, where he wanted me to pick up from, Pastor Joseph led us all in a prayer, calling people to accept Christ as their Savior and to follow him in obedience. He prayed, dear Lord Jesus, I acknowledge today that I need you. I choose to accept the price that you paid for the sins I've committed. Please wash me clean. Please make me a new person. Please write my name in the book of life. I choose from this day forward to live my life in obedience to you and to your word. Please fill me with your spirit and make me brand new. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Some of us are praying it again. Many of us began our Christian life in a similar manner. We heard of the need to repent of our sins and to walk in obedience. But for some of us, the understanding of repentance may be a distant memory going back to the time you were first saved, and we don't think of repentance much anymore. But the Bible uses the word repentance many times to apply both to those who are hearing the gospel for the first time and to those who are already in the local churches to whom the letters of the New Testament were addressed. So anytime I use the word repentance in this message, I'm using it to address people who are still seeking to know God and to those who have been truly born again. The basic meaning of the word repentance is a change in heart and mind which results in a change of inward attitude and outward behavior. Not, We can't change our own heart. God can change our heart. That's the difference. Many people speak of turning your back on sin. Once you were facing one direction, you turn, you walk 180 degrees in the other direction, away from sin and towards Christ and the cross. It's a 180-degree turn. However, many churches in the United States do not even preach about repentance anymore. They don't preach about repentance for salvation or repentance in the life of the believer. Billy Graham wrote in December of 2006, but this theme of repentance, which is proclaimed so emphatically in the Bible by prophets and apostles, is scarcely mentioned by contemporary preachers. The clear trumpet blast calling men and women to repentance is conspicuous for its absence from the modern pulpit. We have preached the dignity of humanity rather than our depravity. We have declared our goodness rather than our wickedness. We have vindicated ourselves rather than confessed our guilt. We have made of ourselves, despite all of our inherent sin and evil, little cherubs of perfection with halos on our heads, harps in our hands, and wings on our shoulders. Gone is the mourner's bench. Gone are the tear-stained cheeks of godly sorrow for sin, and gone is the joy in heaven over wanderers returning to the Father's house. None of us wants to accept blame for our sins, but either the Bible is wrong or we are wrong. When we look at the fruits of this unrepentant generation, I'm convinced that we need to blow a loud blast on the trumpet of biblical repentance. Amen. When repentance is not being preached, and the listeners are not lovingly warned to repent of their sins, and instructed how to do it, they hear a badly distorted gospel that leads to what many people call easy believism or cheap grace. The fact is you cannot be saved without godly repentance and faith in Christ. Both are needed at the same time, repentance and faith. Without a proper understanding of repentance, repent of your sins many times and to many people means only an inward sorrow for your sins and an acceptance in your heart of Christ as your Savior. Believing in Christ is a change of their mind and to many people repentance stops there. They think they have repented because they have just changed their mind about sin and accepted Christ. And many churches no longer call for people to actually repent, turn away from all known sin, and have faith in Jesus Christ. They just call for faith in Christ alone. But Paul preached in Acts chapter 20 that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. In its most extreme form, this doctrine of faith without repentance is called antinomianism which is a false doctrine that teaches that under the dispensation of grace, the moral law is of no use and obligation because faith alone is necessary for salvation. In a slightly less extreme form, it becomes easy believism, sometimes called cheap grace. This distortion of the gospel teaches that all you have to do to be saved is believe. You do not need to repent of your sins, and so long as you believe, you are saved even though you continue to sin. No amount of sin can send you to hell or forfeit your salvation so long as you trust that Christ died on the cross for your sins. That might sound good on the surface, but this is in reality similar to the devil's faith spoken of in James and can be a license to sin. In James chapter 2, the apostle writes, Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe there is one God. Even the demons believe that, and they shudder. So you believe there is God? Well, show it by what you do with your life. Show it by your life. In contrast, Jesus said repeatedly, go and sin no more. In John chapter 5, a man was healed. He had no idea who had healed him. Jesus had slipped away into the crowd. Jesus found him later at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning, or something worse may happen to you. In John chapter 8, Jesus was talking to the woman caught into the act of adultery. And he said, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And no one, she said, then neither do I condemn thee, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. And just in case we need more convincing, the Bible says of John the Baptist in Matthew chapter 3, that John the Baptist came and the first words he was preaching, he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near." And Jesus said the exact same first words when he, was, he came preaching in ministry for the first time in Matthew chapter 4. He said, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. In the book of Acts, which took place in the first century church, Peter preached, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And later he said, repent, then turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. I'm using the word repentance to apply both to people that have never heard the gospel before and to believers. And there are plenty of scriptures to back up both instances. It's not just you repent the first time you come to Christ and you don't need to hear the word or turn from your sin any time after that. The Bible says in Romans chapter 2, do you not realize that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? We're singing about the love of God this morning. And oh, how he loves us, and he never stops loving us. I'll go into that in a little more detail shortly. So today I'm praying that we are going to gain a better understanding of the meaning of repentance, the need to repent, the need to seek repentance, especially after we are born again. And I pray that we will put that knowledge into action by demonstrating repentance to God, and that as a result, we will experience God's nearness like never before, and we will be shaken and forever changed. The Bible says in James chapter 4, come near to God and he will come near to you. These are simple words with profound implications, as I will share shortly. Okay, as a starting and just to make sure we're all on the same page, let's make sure we rightly understand Ephesians chapter 318. Uh, That talks about how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. So there's no hesitation to confess even the worst of our sins to God. This love of God was present while we were born again, before we were born again. Again and again, God said, we'll never stop loving you afterward, even as we struggle with repentance, even if we seem to be failing. I say struggle with repentance because repentance, like holiness, ultimately ultimately comes from a change in heart and can be instantaneous or it can be a longer process. And God does not stop loving us as we look as God does not stop loving us as we work out the Bible talks about work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to do, according to His good pleasure. So God loves us. God loves us when we sin. God loves us when we, we repent. He loves us when we're in the process of repentance. It says in John chapter 3, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. That's true for all time. John chapter 6, it says, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. That will never change. It never changes when we sin. It never changes if, as long as we're turning our face towards the cross and seeking repentance and repenting. Second Corinthians, it talks about he, he anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. You have a guarantee sitting in your heart that God has given you, the Holy Spirit. Do you sense his presence? That's like the foretaste of glory divine that the song talks about. It also says in Ephesians, again, it says, when you believed you were marked in him with a seal, the promised holy spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance and finally another scripture talks about the whole process of repentance that's clearly spoken of two believers already in hebrews chapter 10 it says by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy are you still a work in progress Yes, I can hear that. (laughs) Are you still in the process of being made holy? Are you repenting of your sins as you walk through this life? If so, God already considers you as perfect through the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. It says, by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever. Who? Those who are being made holy. But the reality we live with is that as a Christian, You you probably read the Bible, you pray, you worship, you fellowship, you witness, you do everything you can to grow. You do it on a consistent basis, likely, because you are doing God's will, but because you are doing God's will and you have made the devil angry, you will likely have butted heads with the ugliness of sin that still pops up in your life more more often than you might want to admit. In fact, as God the Holy Spirit shines the light of truth in our life, we begin to see dust in the corners and the dirt of sin that we never saw before. Before I was a Christian, I was fine. Then I came to Christ and the Holy Spirit showed sin in my life I never knew about before. These are the things we need to repent of. We might have been totally blind to this dirt before, but it pleases God and angels who rejoice over sinners who repent. When we see our filthy rags and see the sin and we repent and turn our life over to God, He will cleanse our heart, and he does this for his glory and his glory alone. We have a startling account written in the Bible of an overwhelmingly powerful encounter of the prophet Isaiah with the glory of God that shone the light of truth on Isaiah and exposed the depth of his sin. You've read it before, probably. Isaiah chapter 6, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, and they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Woe is me, Isaiah cried. I am ruined. I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty." Isaiah was a prophet of God and surely a righteous man. And yet, when the living God showed up on the scene, he was reduced to a rubble of a man and could do nothing except repent of his sin. For Isaiah, repenting was both very easy and very difficult. It was easy because he came near to God and God's overwhelming glory. And he had really no choice but to see the ugliness of his sin and to repent It was very hard because his life was no longer the same and he could no longer operate except for this holy encounter in dominating his mind and all subsequent actions. So it might also be for us. Sometimes for us, repenting is very easy. We see our sin for the first time and we are very glad to give it up and we draw closer to God. We had a blind spot and we are relieved to see that it was offensive to God and to other people. When I first got saved, I remember I went to Bayard Baptist Church, a little Baptist church north, it was south of Jacksonville, Florida. And there were probably 30 or 40 people in there. And the preacher was a lumberjack, an ex-alcoholic, tall and thin as a rail. And he would shout when he preached. And he would shout repentance. I would cringe. It's like I almost had to clamp my ears he was shouting so loud. But when I gave my life to Christ... I repented, and I heard him preach repentance, and over and over, I said, boy, I just made it in, I just made it in, because I repented of drinking and use of marijuana, and I knew I turned my back on that sin, I said, no, I walked away from it, and God accepted that. I didn't repent of every sin in my life, I found out about those later, but I repented, I did repent, I, I said, I'm going to take, turn my back on that sin, and I actually fell back into that one time. I repented again and turned my back on it again, and I'm walking on now without that. So it can be very easy. And for me, quitting alcohol and marijuana was very easy at that time. I knew I had to. Sometimes it can be very hard to repent when God reveals to us things that we really don't want to change, when we have an affection in our heart for a particular sin over God. Oftentimes, these are natural affections for things that are good in themselves that we misuse to access to the exclusion of God. These can range from taking inordinate pleasure in food to the point of gluttony, inordinate affection for sleep to the point of laziness, inappropriate sexual conduct outside the bounds of marriage, or even ambition to accomplish our goals on our job to the point that our job displaces at the center of our life. This entrenched sin can also arise from from deep in our heart when we see clearly our selfish nature and self-centeredness in all of its gory detail. The full pervasiveness of sin in our lives becomes even more striking when we realize that any deviation from the Old Testament moral law is sin. And in fact, the New Testament says anything that is not done in faith is sin the bible says in romans chapter 13 that we must understand the present time our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed the night is nearly over the day is almost here let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light let us behave not in carousing and drunkenness not in sexual immorality and debauchery not in dissension and jealousy rather clothe yourself with the lord jesus christ The Bible also admonishes us in Joshua chapter 24. Now fear the Lord and serve him with faithfulness. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. But for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So Isaiah had this encounter with God that we read in Isaiah chapter 6. And he was totally and radically shaken up for the rest of his life. There are many subsequent encounters people have had with God that we can read about or hear about, or maybe we have experienced ourselves. One modern-day instance where God shows up in his glory is chronicled in the book God Chasers, written by Tommy Tenney. The book was written in 1998. In Houston, Texas, God's presence was manifested in the autumn of 1996 in a remarkable series of meetings. For several weeks prior to these meetings, the people in the church sensed a deepening hunger for God, and they were praying in earnest with repentance and faith. They were coming to church with more and more expectation for God to move. And I sense that's how people in this church are. We have a hunger for God, and we're seeking God more and more. And then in that church in the autumn of 1996, everything came to a head at one point, The people were seeking God, and it said, suddenly, one day, Mr. Tenney is writing in his book, and I'll quote, I won't give you the details leading up to this. He says, quote, the presence of God hit that place like some kind of bomb. People began to weep and to wail. I said, if you're not where you need to be, this is a good time to get right with God. I've never seen such an altar call. It was pure pandemonium. People shoved one another out of the way. They wouldn't wait for the aisles to clear. They climbed over pews. Businessmen tore their ties off. And the sound of repentance, and they were, okay, they were literally stacked on top of one another in the most horribly harmonious sound of repentance you ever heard. As people drove into the parking lot, they sensed the presence of God so strongly that some began to weep uncontrollably. Some started to get out of their cars and barely managed to stagger across the parking lot. Some came into the building only to fall on the floor just inside the doors, Others managed to make it. Can you imagine that? Others managed to make it partway down the hallways, and some made it to the foyer before they fell on their faces in repentance. And this was with no sermon. This was just people sensed God showed up in that place in a very powerful way. We know the God of the Bible. We think we know him, and then when he shows up, it's like he's bigger than what we thought. And there's a living presence of God that, that I'm hungry for, and... I think what I'm telling you today will point us in that direction. A few pages later in the book, Tenney writes, what causes this kind of thing to happen? One word, repentance. He then quoted out of the Gospels that, in those days came John the Baptist, saying, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Repentance prepares us for his presence. In fact, you cannot live in his presence without repentance. Okay, the Bible says much about repentance. There's a very interesting scripture where John the Baptist was preaching and he, talked, he was talking to people and he said, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Do not say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. In other words, do not say we are Christians. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. So produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Mark said, um, As Jesus went into Galilee, he preached, the kingdom of God has come near, repent, and believe the good news. In Mark chapter 6, they went out and they preached that people should repent. Luke chapter 13, Jesus said, unless you repent, you too will all perish. Not you too, but he was talking to the people, but to us, we need to repent. Repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. In Acts, it says, in the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Additionally, the Bible speaks of proving your repentance by your deeds. In Matthew chapter 3, in chapter 3, John the Baptist said, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And Paul preached in Acts chapter 26. He was telling King Agrippa, I believe it was, he said, I preached that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. So remember how earlier we said that repentance is a change of heart and mind which results in a change in attitude, a behavior, and or our outward actions. It can also be seen as a turning your back on sin and walking away in the other direction towards Christ. So repentance at its heart is described in the Bible as a godly sorrow for sin. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul is writing, Your sorrow led you to repentance, but you became sorrowful as God intended. And so you were not harmed in any way by it. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. So we want to make sure that we understand the difference between godly sorrow and the sorrow that brings death that is not redemptive. uh, Repentance is not the same as condemning yourself for your sins. The devil condemns you when you sin. God does not condemn you. In fact, the only way to overcome the power of sin is to run towards God. Billy Graham wrote, Repentance is not self-condemnation. You may hate yourself for your sinfulness, but self-condemnation only opens wider the wound of guilt and despair. We should hate our sins, not ourselves. We should hate our false ways, hate your vain thoughts, hate your evil passions, hate your lying, hate your covetousness, hate your greed... But do not hate yourself. Self hatred leads to self destruction, and it is wrong to destroy that which God has created. Repentance is not self condemnation. The devil wants to cut you off in your relationship with God and wants to drive a wedge between you and God. In fact, I wouldn't doubt if many people left the church when they didn't know how to properly handle sin and they ended up blaming God, or they just left and the, a, a wedge was driven between them and God. And they accepted it, and, and uh, they left the church at that point. Or they left the faith is more what I'm talking about. When you sin, run to God. Even if you feel guilty, even if you are guilty. Because he is the only place you will find help and a chance for victory over sin. God will forgive you over and over. Even if you fail, over and over. Never stop coming to God no matter how many times you fail. It might take a lifetime. But do not throw away the forgiveness God provided for you by the death of Christ on the cross and the blood that was shed for the forgiveness of sins. I think many people give up because they're overwhelmed. They see all the wrong they do. They say, I just can't live the perfect Christian life. And the answer is start a life of repentance and take full provision of what God has provided Take full provision of his love, his joy, the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the normal Christian life. It's not a life of condemnation. It's a life of recognizing sin and repenting. God will get tired of hearing from you, but keep repenting until your heart is really changed. It's not easy. Sometimes it is. But it, and it takes time, and sometimes it's, it's instantaneous. The key scripture is it talks about coming to God, confess your sins, and he will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Come to God, confess your sins, accept forgiveness, purpose in your heart to change, and then move on to expecting to see God work. And then true repentance is not merely being sorry for your sin or having a regret because Judas was sorry. He felt sorrow and regret when he had betrayed the Lord. But that's not repentance since he did not return in faith. On the other hand, Peter denied the Lord three times, but he repented with a godly sorrow, and he came back to serve the Lord faithfully. We can confess our sins and receive forgiveness, but we need to press in further towards true repentance, turning away from the evil deeds of any kind, and coming to hate sin the same way God hates sin. That's a, a prayer you can pray if you're dealing with a, a sin that you like. You need to see the sin from God's perspective. You need to be honest with God in prayer. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians um, Therefore, since we have these promises, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit. And then it talks about perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. We don't pretend we've arrived yet. After you're a Christian, we have to go through the process called sanctification. We perfect holiness out of reverence for God. We repent of our sins as we see them. And we keep seeking repentance because sometimes it takes a while to change our heart. When we let godly sorrow point us to Jesus, we see that he wants to bring hope and new life to us. The work of worldly sorrow aligns us with the enemy who wants to bring discouragement and despair and death. Godly sorrow has us hiding in Christ where we are strengthened and healed. Worldly sorrow has us hiding from God in our own place of suffering. So how does repentance work itself out in the life of a born-again Christian? There are no tricks or shortcuts. It all comes down to prayer and you develop your relationship with God you are honest with God you are brutally honest with God and you never doubt that he loves you there are several scriptural principles that can apply to your life that will help first john chapter 1 it says and i've hinged a lot of my life on this and we all should it says if we confess our sins he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins So he'll forgive us, but then the second half of the verse says he will purify us from all unrighteousness. He will purify us from doing what is not right. And I'm counting on that in my life, that God, the Holy Spirit, will purify me and change my heart. But in the meanwhile, I'm confessing my sins. Pray that God will show you how much he hates sin you are committing. God hates all sin, but if we don't hate it yet, we need to ask God to show us sin from his perspective and expect he will answer that. Another principle, look for escape if you find yourself too close to sin. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he will provide a way out. So if you're serious about, if your hunger for God is serious, if you're serious about getting closer to God, the Bible says draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And we do that by repentance. And if we're too close, look for the way out. And sometimes you just have to say no and you walk away from sin. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. You around yourself so you don't find yourself in a position of sin. Or maybe we have to run away from sin. The Bible says in First Corinthians, flee from sexual immorality. It also says in Romans chapter 8, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. We're either led by the flesh or we're led by the Spirit. In Galatians chapter 6, it says, a man reaps what he sows. If you sow to please the flesh, from the flesh you will reap destruction. That's motivation right there. If you want to be near to God, sow to please the Spirit, and from the Spirit you will reap eternal life. If you feed the flesh... The pastor gave this illustration. We've heard it a couple times in the last year. If you feed the flesh, it will win. If you feed the spirit, the Holy Spirit will win. And lastly, uh, the scripture also talks about submitting yourself to God and resisting the devil. And the good thing about the devil is you can resist him and he will flee. And you start the resistance. You start the repentance. You say, I can't overcome. Well, it says resist the devil. Keep on resisting and he will flee. Scripture says, God opposes the proud, gives favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. That's what we're looking for. That's not just just words where people were stacked up in the aisles, and Isaiah saw the Lord. You come near to God, and he will come near to you. There's a supernatural event that can happen there. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. There's a time for repentance where you grieve and mourn and the end is a good result. Lastly, know that your prayer life can get really intense when you're talking with God and you cannot fool him. You are truthful with God, but thankfully his love comes back to you in a big way. I don't know of anyone who has regretted his or her prayer life being enhanced it's amazing what God can show you through the scripture or through a word that turns out to be a key for you to use to overcome sin I know there are different scriptures that God has given me and they might not be meaningful to you but for me it's a key in my heart that this gives me power I can understand what I need to do to overcome sin but you have to seek them with all of your heart and don't give up repenting of sin it's a way of life and there's nothing wrong with that as a way of life. The Bible talks about work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. God can make you willing if you are willing to be made willing. That sounds kind of complicated, I realize, but it says it's God who works in you to will. If you're willing to be made willing, God can make you willing. It sounds complicated, but it comes down to honesty and prayer. He needs to empower us, and we need to try. And God knows if we are really trying or just using words. I remember when I was going to school, and I was talking to a fellow that was about to become a missionary, and he would tell me about his life in prayer, and he would kind of look up and say, God, I'm really sorry. But he knew that he wasn't being really sorry, and he knew that God knew that too. So you can't fool God. Uh, if we, we can't even fool ourselves. you know? So how do you think we're going to fool God? It comes down to honesty in prayer. And he will empower us. Ultimately, we rely on his power. And we cry out to him and we receive his power. So as we close, remember that repentance is part of the normal Christian life. It's not normal for many people. But it needs to be kept in balance so we keep the joy of the Lord, continue to delight ourselves in the Lord, and remain in useful service to others for the Master. Let the Holy Spirit direct you in this. And you cannot go wrong. Some people end up with a morbid, over-interest in sin, and their whole life is dominated. But that's not godly sorrow. That's the devil trying to bring people down. So you ask one more question, what are the blessings that actually accompany, uh, accompany repentance? Well, we have the blessing of God's presence. The Bible says in Hebrews 11, he rewards those who seek him, those who earnestly seek him. It says in Jeremiah, you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and you will find me. When you seek me with all of your heart, I will be found by you. Jesus said in chapter 10 of John, I have come that they might have life. I maintain that that comes from repentance, a lifestyle of repentance. And in Ephesians chapter 3, it says he is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. If we're not realizing that, if we're hungry for God, I submit to you that repentance in the biblical sense, is the way we came to Christ, we repented. And don't make that something foreign and far off. I remember when I first became a Christian, I would list every single sin I could think of, every single one. I wanted to make sure I had them all covered. Well, I'm starting to do that again now. You know, I'm realizing a lot of things. I say, well, I'm, not, I'm just that way. I'm not going to overcome that. Well, list it. List it. Tell God you're going to purpose in your heart to change. And then when you fail, come back and do it again. And when you fail, you come back and do it again. And at some point, you won't have to come back again. So I ask you the question I asked at the beginning. Are you hungry for more of God? I think we are. I think this is a process that can start for many of us. It's already started. I think it needs to continue. But first I want to ask, has there been a moment in your life when you repented of sin and then by faith received the Lord Jesus Christ. If not, you can do it today. I don't know all of you in this room. There might be some here. Your life can be changed. Your sins can be forgiven. You can live a new life. You can have the assurance that if you died, you would go to heaven. Will you repent now? Will you receive him as your Savior? Let's pray all together out loud. Dear Lord Jesus, I acknowledge today that I need you I choose to accept the price that you paid for the sins I've committed. Please wash me clean. Please make me a new person. And please write my name in the book of life. I choose from this day forward to live my life in obedience to you and to your word please fill me with your Holy Spirit and make me brand new. In the name of Jesus, amen. So the altars are open. If you feel you need to find a place of prayer, you're welcome to come to the altars. If you've never asked Christ into your heart before, please let me pray with you or let one of the leaders of the church pray with you before you leave. Father, we thank you for the new life that you give in Christ. Thank you for your presence here. You are a supernatural God. You've touched our lives already. You've turned us around. Some people still need to experience that, Lord. And I just pray that today will be that day. They've already made the decision, Father. I just pray they will take that one extra step and come forward and seek prayer from those that are around the altar. If you're a leader in the church and if, if you're an altar worker, I ask you to come forward. And you can stand at the front and face the congregation. And you can stand, and if anyone comes forward, just take a chance to take a time to pray with them. And if you're up here waiting for others to come, you can be repenting yourself and asking him to forgive you. It can be the place to start. Find your place at the altar. Otherwise, have a wonderful Sunday. Go with God. Let the grace of God be part of your life. Let the love of God keep you very, very strong. Amen.